Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Path and Bounds Creative Office Hour. My name is Stella Guan. I'm the founder and CEO. And today we have a wonderful guest. His name is Sam Harper. He's a UX designer, and he actually has a really interesting background. And I am really excited to speak to him right now. Um, so hi, Sam. Thanks, Stella. Thanks. For, thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So you actually came in as a recommendation from a previous guest that we had on our podcast. His name is Kerry McPherson, and we had a great time speaking with him. And he said, you have to speak to Sam. And I'm like, okay, so here we are. Um, so Sam is based in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and he had quite an interesting career trajectory be before becoming a UX designer. Um, so I actually found a lot of your wonderfully written Medium articles, and I really admire um, your storytelling skills. So um, my first question to you is, how did you find your way into UX? Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I like to say, like with just about everyone out there, that I had a case of the, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Uh, I think everybody can relate, uh, even the people who think that, you know, decide that they're going to be an astronaut when they're a kid, and then they wind up being an astronaut. There's still some kind of like twists and turns that you can't really anticipate for. And um, I, you know, I would say really like when I, I started out in film school, actually, and that was just because like, I didn't really know what I was, you know, I've, I was told, hey, go to college, pick something and I didn't, I had taken a film, a film class in high school and I really liked it. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just do this. And then, um, but I had also, you know, I'd also had, um, interestingly enough, growing up in Colorado, I had already had this, like this strong love of the ocean and kind of protecting it and all this stuff. And, um, uh, eventually, you know, the further I got into film school, I, I realized I liked the craft, but I didn't want to do it professionally. And then, I just decided, well, I guess I'll go do marine biology. So I moved out to uh, California to a school called Humboldt State. I got my degree out there. And the very short condensed summary of it is I graduated, had a very difficult time finding work, um, eventually got hired to work for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska, and then just kind of had a quarter life crisis. And I'm like, you know, at that point, I was like, I don't know what really what I was supposed to be doing. I'd gone through this major depression and um, it was just, it didn't feel like a right fit for me. And I was, at that point I was like, I don't know what I should be doing, but I know this isn't it. So then I, I kind of pushed the big reset button on that. Um, moved in with my parents for a couple of years, got a job driving a school bus and then um, just kind of did a lot of like career exploration. And then I came across um, you, what's funny actually, I, so when I first discovered UX, that was around like December of 2015. That was around the time that I was leaving Alaska. Uh, and I found an art, I was looking at all these different careers and UX was one of them that popped up. And they were talking about how, it, it was actually an article that was written by Career Foundry. And I think that because I read that that uh, that article, that it started targeting me with ads because later on, I got uh, I got targeted with a ad from Career Foundry for like fifty percent off for the boot camp if you sign up within a few days or so, and I just wound up just saying screw it. I I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. Let's just let's give it a try, and um, here I am. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, actually, you know, I run a design school and we have students from all over the place. And from my experience, it's mostly through uh, referrals, word of mouth and, and stuff like that. And of course, all the schools run a lot of ads, right? Actually, you're the first one who, who told me that you you signed up because you saw an ad. And and I, I mean, obviously, you know, um, it, it's really yeah. effective um, in, in some cases. And so yeah. I will say that there was a lot more that went into it. I had already been like really diving deep into UX and think like seriously considering it. It was not just like a like an off the cuff kind of thing. But I yeah, think that was true. my my final sign from the universe that I should give this a try. And I haven't regretted it since. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your bootcamp experience now that we're on the topic. Uh, what do you think was the biggest benefit of it? And um, if you um, if there's anything that you didn't like so much about it, tell us about your experience. Yeah. So, I mean, to start off with the benefits that I saw from a boot camp is like if you're coming in and you've got no understanding of UX whatsoever, I mean, you probably maybe like a very basic understanding based on like reading articles and stuff, but you really want to understand it on a deeper level, then, you know, boot camps are great for that. It's great for getting that elementary level of education. Um, you know, now with that said, I will say that you can learn that from a lot of other places. You can sign up for the Interaction Design Foundation for $15 a month and learn it there. You can do the Google certificate on UX and learn that. Uh, there's, you know, I, I, I kind of equate it to um, not so much like focusing on the vehicle that's going to get you there, but that end result. And then there's a bunch of different vehicles that can take you there. Like if you're trying to go to the grocery store, you could walk, you could bike, you could drive a car, you could fly a helicopter if you really wanted to. Um, <laughs> well, they're probably not going there by themselves if they can avoid a helicopter, yeah. but I, I hear your point. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, I, I remember when I was working for um, a, a company a couple years ago and uh, one of my managers, she said, well, I don't care how you design. You can design with PowerPoint if you want to, but you know, the, the end result is what we want. That's it. You, yeah. you don't have to be so bogged down by you know, the tools or the path, you, you have to make make it work, right? Like you have to find yeah. your own path. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything that you think um, boot camps could have done better or you wish they could have done better? You know, I will say that um, edu I, I think not just UX education, but education as a whole is it's got a lot of growing pains, you know, even universities that have been around since, oh gosh, since like, I think the 1600s, um, they're still, you know, they're still trying to figure out how to, um, how to adapt to basically, you know, teaching people skills they need in the workforce. Um, I mean, even with universities for the longest time, it was just kind of something you just go and you'd go there because you were bored and you wanted to like learn a subject. And then, uh, late, and then it wasn't until much more recently that they started shifting to essentially teaching people uh, how to essentially be uh, to gain like practical skills instead of just learning a lot of theoretical stuff. And I feel like uh, UX education is kind of going through that same issue where you've basically got um, you've got these boot camps that have sprung up in response to uh, a big demand that's a big demand in tech for hiring more people. And, um, you know, of course, like the, the initial intention was we're going to give you the skills that you're going to need. You're going to go out and you're going to be able to get a job. And it turns out that that's not, you know, the intention is good, but it's not quite going that way. 
Uh, I would say one of the things that I've personally noticed with boot camps is that the vast majority of them, they don't actually teach you. They're not, they're kind of teaching you what UX is like in a box, like in a perfect world scenario where nothing is altered, nothing's changed. You can base, you don't have to really do any real research. You don't have to deal with angry clients. And unfortunately it's just, you know, when you get the, you get these, um, these very cookie cutter theoretical projects and then people will put them on their portfolio and thinking that, you know, this is what employers want to see. And it turns out that's not what they want to see. In fact, if you look at some of the things that Google hires for, they'll actually rate soft skills as one of the highest things and they'll rate your actual knowledge of that subject as one of the lowest. You'd think it would be the opposite, but it's not. And, you know, when you're working on these real world projects, Really, what I think is is super important that's unfortunately missing from these boot camps is they're not um, it's not showing them like how to handle these less ideal situations, which is how it goes a hundred percent of the time. Funding's going to dry up. Your clients are going to get angry at you. Um, there's going to be you know you're going to realize that you were doing you missed the mark on some of these other things, and you're just constantly readjusting until you can finally get that get to that point you need to. Um, so I would say that would be, another, you know, that that is a very big thing is there needs to be a lot more people working on real world stuff, um, you know, whether you're volunteering or you're, you're doing some stuff with a nonprofit or, you know, you kind of like convinced somebody that you know that has a company to just like give you, you know, some kind of like under the table internship or something like that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and that's one of the things that I noticed uh, right away. And that's what we're trying to do here um, at Path Unbound to is actually connecting students with uh, startup founders to work on real projects instead of having too many speculative projects, which is good to practice, but to put it on your portfolio, eventually, um, it, it's going to show right like like experienced recruiters and managers, they can tell within a few seconds if this is something that's actually uh, been done in a real scenario, or is it just like your blue sky, beautiful, you know, um, smooth sailing projects, which is amazing. And having worked in the field myself, I, I honestly think that, you know, like what, what you said is completely right. Soft skills is actually they're harder to gain. Um, they have to be built um, with experience and time. Um, and in, in an education environment, I think it's definitely challenging to emulate because just because you have to get these people like, you know, out the door and be prepared for education. So how do you um, actually, you know, give them enough instruction as well as give them that experience, right? So I think as educators, we have to figure more of that out. Um, but I agree with you. And you have a lot of great, you know, thought leadership pieces, I would say on uh, Medium. And I think you went a lot into depth discussing issues in this industry. And you, I, I, I realized that you, you tell really great stories with them. Um, so you and I actually have a lot of similarities because we both uh, love design and we both love telling stories. We both write. So how important do you think it is for designers to learn how to tell good stories? I, you know, I, I think it's, it's definitely pretty important. I mean, especially, I would say one of the, one of the biggest places where good storytelling is very important is when you're setting up a portfolio. Um, and I actually, um, I wanted to, I'm glad you brought this up uh, because the analogy that I normally like to give with portfolios is, 
you know, imagine if you showed up to, you know, you're a big Marvel fan, right? And of, of course, like the Avengers movies came out a couple of years ago, but pretend like the Avengers just came out. You're super excited to show up. And then you realized that the entire movie was two and a half hours of all the characters getting along and nothing bad really happened and only good things happen. And then they're all complimenting each other and having tea. And then the movie just kind of ends. Like you're going to feel like you just got ripped off. You're going to be pissed. Like I want to, I want to see some conflict. I want to see some bloodshed. I want to see, like, I want to see a story where I'm actually like, I really care about these characters. And unfortunately when I see a lot of these these portfolio pieces, that's what I see. You know, I, I think that oftentimes, um, you know, of course, like to no fault of the the people designing them, but I think they're they're misled as to what they should be showing, is that they're basically trying to show, they're trying to cast themselves in as perfect of a light as possible. And that's never how it goes. Uh, and by doing that, I think they're they're missing one of the absolutely most important pieces of their portfolio, which is, you know, what were, what were the conflicts that happened? Where did things go wrong? You know, where, how did you manage to like work with your team to overcome some of these challenges? And I think like when you're really showing a lot of that, uh, I mean, yes, the, the project is half the battle, but then the other half is like, how do you handle conflict? How do you handle these inevitable problems that are coming up? And that's, you know, as far as storytelling, like, I think you really need to include when you're telling these portfolio pieces, you got to show the good with the bad. And especially for me, like coming from a a biological sciences background, I've been, you know, I've basically been taught just drilled into me from day one, that number, you know, stats and numbers are king. And again, I think that's another thing that I like to tell stories with stats and numbers. I like to actually measure what I'm studying. I like to, um, of course, like no study is going to be perfect, but you can get as close as possible. Um, where you can say, Hey, I, I measured the control of like how, how people are currently using this software, this website. And now I'm introducing some of my hypotheses. I'm putting in the, uh, I'm putting in some of these variables. I'm testing them against each other. I'm actually showing not only how this is getting better used, but then I'm also showing how this is impacting the company's bottom line right? Because they're hiring you ultimately, the company's hiring you ultimately because they want you to grow their business. They're not hiring you just to like play in a virtual sandbox. They want some kind of outcome. And when you can show that outcome and you can show it in a very clear, concise story, then they're going to be more interested in hiring you. Yeah, absolutely. I I love your analogy. I actually had never thought of it that way. Um, But but it's true because, you know, uh, especially like you know, I currently live in Los Angeles, right? It's pretty much Hollywood. And every everywhere I go, I, I hear these like screenwriters talking about their, you know, uh, upcoming, you know, pitch, whatever, right? And, and, and they're discussing, you know, oh, how can I make this character more interesting, right? So it's, it's kind of the yeah. same thing. You don't want something to, you don't want everybody to get along, right? It, it, they nev- they no. never do. <laughs> and and, and, and it, the same thing can be applied to your portfolio storytelling. It, it's kind of like if you make um, your headings of, of each of your uh, projects a little bit more interesting instead of, okay, ideate what what are you what are you ideating right yeah. so you can you can tell people that you don't want them to spend 15 minutes reading and they still didn't get what you're trying to say so that i actually recently wrote an article about that like how do you fix your 
super long UX case study and make them more interesting. So uh, really appreciate your insight. And, and I think in some of your articles, you actually talked about uh, personal branding for designers and, and also content creation, which you uh, yourself do so well. For someone who's new to this, who may want to be building up a personal brand, how do they get started? Right. So I think what it what it really comes down to is, you know, before you bought, invest in the expensive equipment, before you start writing articles, before you really do anything, I think it's really important to understand to a fundamental core, like, who are you and how do you normally like to express yourself? So for me, I'm absolutely not camera shy. I don't mind putting myself out on the internet and being criticized or like showing my face or anything like that. So I'm fine just you know, and I realize this is, um, this is kind of a superpower of mine, I guess, but as it is with yours, obviously, uh, (laughs) but I can just basically turn on my camera and just talk for 45 minutes, not even have anything planned out and then just kind of come up with content. Um, I realized for some people that scares the absolute daylights out of them. And, you know, for those people, I would say, don't do what I'm doing, but instead, (laughs) How, you know, like, you know, if you're more, more of an introvert, how would you, um, how can you still get your ideas out there? You know, do you, do you gravitate towards writing? Do you like, um, I mean, if, you know, maybe if you like, I know some people don't mind going on podcasts, but they don't want to show their face at all. So then, you know, do you like just audio only stuff? Um, do you like, Maybe, uh, maybe some of those more in-person stuff, obviously, you know, COVID's kind of dying down. Uh, do you like the idea of just talking to a small group of people and kind of helping them on a one-on-one basis instead of just like what I do where I don't even know who's watching my, my live streams. I'll just kind of go live. It could be one person or it could be a million people and it makes no difference to me. Uh, you really got to understand like, how do you, how do you best express yourself? And I think once you've got that down, then you really want to start thinking about like, think about the things that are related to UX that you really, or, you know, even if you're in other design fields, if you're, you're in, uh, you know, you're a UI designer, or if you're a graphic designer, or, you know, you're even an industrial designer, and you want to, you want to kind of market yourself, then think about, you know, once you've figured out, like, really how you like to talk, um, what, what, do you care about in this field? Like, what are some of these things that you're curious about? Because if you're, if you're basically teaching something that you want to know more about, that not only helps other people learn, but it also helps you learn as well. I've done that lots of times. Um, You know, did you come up with some like really cool, did you participate in like a hackathon, for example, where you learned about this cool new issue? Like um, a couple of years ago, I went down to the San Diego Zoo. They were having a hackathon down there our team won first place. And I learned so much about like some of the poaching issues that were happening in Africa. And it was a really cool, cool thing. And I basically, I just created a lot of content around that. Um, You know, what do you see that's broken in UX and in the hiring process and everything? Um, And from there, you can kind of get a sense of what kind of stuff you normally like to talk about. And then I would just say, you know, write your first article, record your first live stream, like, or just put like, even just like a five minute video on YouTube that's like, hi, I'm, I'm Sam or I'm Stella. Uh, this is who I am. And, and then just, I don't know, 
just whatever, whatever you want to talk about, just like take small baby steps. And then you're just gradually like the first, you know, I know I'm kind of rambling here, but like the first time that I did my live stream, I was scared. I oh. was like, I had no idea what's going to happen. I kind of like, I knew for the longest time that I wanted to do it, but I was like, Hey, I'm just going to jump in the deep end and just kind of see what happened. And then I did it. Nothing bad happened. I was still alive. I didn't get burned or anything. So then I did it again and again and again. And yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I actually I don't have the superpower that you do. Um, I, I actually have been trying to do more YouTube videos. And you know what I found out? I don't do well when there's nobody interacting with me that I'm just, you know, staring dead into a camera in front of me. I froze and my sentences got messed up. But once I'm talking to someone, I'm fine. So so that's how I found my kind of like, quote unquote, comfort zone and, and do more mm -hmm. in that area. And I I absolutely agree with what you said, right? If you're more, more comfortable writing articles, you don't want to show your face. You don't want people to hear about you. Um, you you can write articles, which is why I write articles so so much more <laughs> than yeah. you know than doing there's your really, life. You know, there's really no there's really no right or wrong way to go about doing this. Again, you think about like if you're doing a UX project, who you know who cares like what what software you're using as long as you're getting that end result. Um, exactly. And then it's the same thing with. Like if you're trying to market yourself and again, you know, marketing yourself on LinkedIn is super important because mm -hmm. that's there, you know, there's recruiters coming out to you all the time. There's like, I've met a lot of really amazing people that I would not have met through LinkedIn. And that's where like personal branding really is a lot more important than just sending your resume out to a lot of people. Yeah, In fact, there's absolutely. people who get hired off LinkedIn without even submitting a resume. Yeah. Um, so it is definitely, I would say, you know, it, you definitely got to think about yourself as a personal brand and how you can market yourself out there. Cause if you're, you know, if you're the best kept secret, you're the only person you're hurting in that case is yourself. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't want to be a secret because nobody can find you. They will not, you know, they yeah. will hire you. Yeah. And, and honestly, when you're on LinkedIn or any other social platform, it's about building a genuine connection and not just like, Oh, here's my resume. Can you hire me? No one's going to respond right. well to that, right? And on LinkedIn, actually, people ask really good questions in their um, in their posts. And that's how you find out a lot of issues that you don't even, you're not even aware of, and maybe can create something about it. And actually, when you write, uh, when you put yourself out there, you attract the people that, um, you know, like resonate with what you're saying, and you attract people who may want to work together with you. And actually, I attracted some clients that way, right? I never approached them, they approached me. So absolutely. And um, speaking of, of your live stream, uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. So you've done a couple of those, you've actually helped people out during your live stream. Um, how did you get started with that? And what inspired you to, uh, to do them? Yeah. So, you know, this actually, it's, it's funny because this actually came from another bit of content that I had put out. So um, this was probably around like February of March or March of like 2019. So I had been working at my first UX job. Uh, I'd been in there for about a year and I, I really just wanted to publish an article about my, you know, my thoughts and experience around going to a boot camp and what I had learned from, you know, being a UX designer for about a year at that point, and what I would really suggest to people who want to get into UX. And I'd also been studying some other things like, you know, how to do effective copywriting and, and all that stuff. So, um, so basically, what I did is, I wrote this article 
again, I was terrified to publish it because I was at that time I had never really like put anything out there uh, on the internet of major substance aside from like little Facebook posts and stuff. And I, but again, I just decided, Hey, nobody, there's really no point in writing this article if nobody's going to see it. So I, I came up with a title that, you know, from, from some of these like marketing things that I had learned that would be hopefully effective in getting people to read this article. And, but I thought that, you know, maybe there would be a dozen people who read it and it would just get a couple like likes and that would be it. And what I didn't realize is that once I put it out there, it went viral, like absolutely viral. I got, um, it's been, you know, if you look at this, the stats of it, it would kind of like peaked for a little bit. And then after about like a few days, just shot right up. And there's a bunch (laughs) of people that were sharing it across, like they're sharing it on Reddit and Facebook and Twitter and like, everywhere even like sites that i'd never even heard of and i was like oh my god i did not realize that so many people were actually interested in what i had to say and so i was like okay this is this seems interesting so i guess i'll kind of run with it so um so then i started putting out some other articles and of course not all of them did as well as my first one um and then i put out I wrote another article that was called uh, 10 Sobering Realities Every Brand New UX Designer Needs to Accept. I read I've that. Found it's, <laughs> it almost seems like people kind of like it, like weirdly enough, people like getting like slapped in the face with reality. Yes. Um, yes. I think probably because a lot of people going into boot camps, they're, they're taught all, they're just like, they're kind of hyped up on all this marketing stuff. So they don't really realize like, hey, this is what it's actually like as a UX designer. And this is what you have to be prepared for. And I wrote that article and it went just as if not actually more popular than my first one that got me on a bunch of podcasts, a bunch of live streams. And at that point I had already been like thinking about, um, I mean, this was like a couple of years into my career at this point. At that point I had already wanted to do like YouTube and do like live streaming. And, um, eventually I finally got, uh, granted access to, uh, to do live stream on, on LinkedIn, you have, you had to like apply for it and I got accepted. So, oh. uh, I started just, I put out my first live stream. I, re, I was a little bit scared to do it, but at the mm-hmm. same time I had written all these other articles, people seemed to like them. So I was like, Oh, I'll just continue it in another format. And honestly, it seems, you know, I feel like every, every bit of content I put out there does make me stronger to, yeah. you know, as far as like, how I'm marketing myself. Now it's like I can turn on the camera and just have nothing planned and just start talking for half an hour or talk for 45 minutes and come up with some interesting stuff. So you got to teach me how to do that. Um, I still can't okay. do it myself. Sure. <laughs> no, that that's awesome. And and it's it's so interesting because I think a lot of a lot of these are one thing led to another that you didn't really have it planned, but it just makes sense along the way. And um, it's really interesting because I had the same experience on Medium. Like my very first article went viral and I was like, holy, you know, <laughs> holy crap. Yeah. Right. And and of course, not everything did so well, but it kind of really give you um, that sense of community there because people actually engage and read and they reflect and they reach out to you, which I think that's amazing. And and most most of the people are pretty, you know, um, friendly, a few nasty, you know, comments, but but yeah. but all in all, people are actually just trying to learn and um and, and not to, you know, 
do anything else. I mean, like you just have to get comfortable with that. But um, really glad that you shared how you got started uh, with our audience. Yeah. So let's switch gear a little bit and talk about your actual UX work. So I know you've worked at both the agency side and the in-house side. Um, so some of our audience uh, may be cu curious about what's the difference and um, what do you advise them to get into if they're just starting out as a new designer? Perfect. Yeah. So um, so my first, my first and second jobs in UX were in the agency space. And then uh, I'm currently working in an in-house software company, which is different because originally I was doing uh, web agency stuff specifically. And, you know, what I found, uh, I think a lot of people on here, they already know what a freelancer is and what a freelancer does. So imagine if you have a company that is essentially like a freelance designer, except they've got, you know, they've got 300 people working for them. So it's like, you've got some people doing dev, you've got some people doing UX and QA and uh, project management. And, uh, you know, you've got the um, the strategy behind it and everything. So imagine a company that basically does freelance work for other companies that could range anywhere from, you know, a mom and pop law firm all the way up to a major company like Walmart or uh, Target or something like that. And what I would say with agency work is, I mean, I think this is, this is true with both companies, you know, you know, with every company I've worked at, but especially with agencies is it's going to fluctuate. You, your work is going to fluctuate a lot. So it's going to start from, you know, it can go anywhere from like, we don't really have that much work for you to do. And you'll just kind of be sitting on your hands all day. And, you know, uh, sometimes it even happens for like a few days. We're like, uh, do you guys even need me anymore? <laughs> uh, and I found usually whenever I'm in those kind of stages like i'll just i'll read medium articles that are about ux i'll kind of like i'll do something that helps me you know like i was i learned adobe xd during one of those like lag periods but then it can also flip and go the exact opposite direction where you are you know the client wants they want some big massive initiative like a big site launch due in a month or something that's like almost ridiculous to the point of being, you know, unreasonable. Um, and then you're going to, you know, because you're, you're one of the employees, you're getting paid to be there. You got to accommodate that. You got to, I mean, there's, I cannot tell you how many sleepless nights I've had to put in for uh, trying to accommodate some of those like big major pushes and they can get really stressful. Uh, so I would say, you know, Stress man, like know how you handle stress, know how to manage your, you know, your projects, how to keep on track, you know, keep on top of these different things. And especially because you're going to have, uh, you're not just going to be working on one project. You might be working on like five or six or more than that. And you're going to have a meeting here about project A and a meeting here about project D and a meeting here about project C and a meeting here about project F. And then you're going to have a deliverable for project A. And you got to really be able to keep on top of that. Um, like one of the things, like Trello is really helpful for that. I've actually been using a note-taking software called Notion. That's oh, really me helped too. me to organize my projects as well. Um a, I think like agencies, from my experience, they don't pay as much either. So just kind of be aware of that. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it's like if you if you like really fast paced work, you know, agencies are definitely awesome. I think that with the in-house, especially with like in-house software, it does tend to be a little bit more stable as far as I'm, it seems like, because um, you do have a more steady stream of clients coming in. Um, it can still, I mean, it can still be very stressful work, but I think it's more like you kind of know more what to expect. Um, and also what's nice about that too, is that you've got you're not like coming up with all these different designs for every single client like you are in agencies in in-house you've got your design library you've got your systems and your methods and you're just figuring out you know you may even still be working with big clients who are using some piece of your software and then they've got some kind of need that you've got to be able to accommodate for so then you kind of build out that part of the software um yeah i mean i i would say in-house I per I really like it. I like the in-house role a lot. Um, but you know, every every job you're going to have is going to have its pros and cons. Yeah, definitely. Um, I personally have been in-house and age on the agency side, um, both, and I pretty much had similar experiences to you on the agency side. It's it's kind of like up and down, up and down. And I remember my very first agency job. Uh, the entire company had to stay until. 1am in the morning because one client, you know, just flipped out. Um, and that was, that was fun. Um, but at the <laughs> same time, it, I, I also appreciate the experience because I got a lot of training on, um, on the job because everybody else around you is, it's pretty much doing the same thing as you. So they are experienced and some of them can mentor you a little bit. Whereas when you're in-house, um, it's, it's definitely more stable and you have like, you know, a more relaxed environment, but it, the same time, sometimes you could be the only person and you could be responsible for everything. Um, and you have to educate a lot of uh, internal clients who have no idea what you're doing. Right. So, so it's, just, it's definitely pros and cons, um, but it's good to experience both. So I, uh, earlier, uh, we, we, when we discussed before recording, you actually mentioned um, that you have tips for designers who are looking for a job um, for the first time, but they're struggling with it just because the competition is so steep. Um, you actually have an alternative um, route, and, um, and you mentioned how they should be more open to, to locations. Can you speak more to that? Yeah. So, you know, for before I go into this, I want to give a disclaimer that um, just because I say something doesn't mean that this is going to be your silver bullet. You know, I'm just really what I'm saying is I'm talking about the stuff that has worked for me that I have noticed has worked out pretty well. And I'm just saying, Hey, this worked for me. I've seen it work for some other people. Why don't you go ahead and try it? And you know, what's, what's funny is when I got out of my boot camp and I realized this is just, this is a struggle with, every every person who's coming out of a boot camp uh it took me a long time like i didn't get my first job until seven months after i graduated so it was definitely not like roses and sunshine at all um and i had of course like i was i was applying to all these different i think i had applied over like 500 jobs and i got rejected by the vast majority of them Uh, and it's just it's partly because i didn't really know how to how to apply for work. And there is, there are some things to be aware of, um, like, you know, applicant tracking systems, for example. Um, a lot of people don't know about it, but they're basically bots that fill because they get so many applications, they just filter out if you've got the right keywords that match the job description. And if it doesn't, then it just throws them out, even if you're perfectly qualified for the job. So 
that's one of the things I would say, definitely like educate yourself about ATS bots. It's, it's pretty important. And there's some, mm-hmm. uh, some like services you can sign up for that help you get around that. Uh, but another thing that I really want to say that worked out for me is I noticed that whenever I applied to some of these like very high saturated tech markets, like, you know, anytime I had applied for a job in San Francisco or New York city, or like any of these, um, you know, even like Austin and even like I was living in, you know, I was born and raised in Denver and I applied to a lot of jobs in Denver and nobody would hire me. It was crazy. And I, you know, what, what ultimately happened was I got hired by a company that I applied for it just as a complete throwaway. It was some, uh, some recruiter put like a vague job description that was located in, uh, in a city called Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was like, I have, why, why would I move to Tennessee? I have no intention. You know, I want to go like where the big boys are. I want to go to San Francisco or, you know, I want to go to New York. Uh, And ultimately those jobs didn't, they didn't even consider me. It later, it came down to, uh, there was a company out in Boston that was basically, it was also like an agency, but it was a software agency. And they had flown me out there. I did my my final round interview with them, um, paired with uh, the interview with the company in Knoxville, which is also another like a web agency. And I thought I was going to get the job in Boston. That wound up coming through or not. It it fell through at the last second. So they didn't hire me. Still, it was such a confidence booster knowing I could go that far in the interview process and get hired, though. So you know, I guess like related to that note, if you do make it at some point through the interview process, even if you don't get hired, you, it's kind of like, like a baby learning how to walk and just gaining the confidence to be able to walk a little bit further and a little bit further. If you know, you can get to this certain part of the job phase, like you've done it, then you just got to just do that same thing again. And then just get a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And I think that like, it's applying for jobs really is a mental game. It's you're really just building up your confidence. But what I found was pretty interesting about that is I, and I realized with, you know, COVID being what it is and a lot of companies going remote that it's maybe not as, you know, I mean, I think it's still applicable, but consider a lot of these companies that are located in places that are, not as like tech savvy. So out in Knoxville, the, they didn't have a big tech scene out there, but they had, they were pretty close to Atlanta, Georgia, but, and Atlanta's got a pretty good tech scene, but they couldn't get, they couldn't get the people, a lot of the people that they wanted from Atlanta to relocate up to this little college town in Tennessee. Um, whereas like in my case, they gave me a, you know, they gave me a job offer. I came all the way out there. It was, I mean, it's, and it actually turned out to be really good because that was that initial experience that I needed to get landed in a bigger tech market. You know, now I'm, I'm working in the Silicon Slopes area. There's, we've got like Adobe and like purple mattresses in there and like a bunch of like big tech companies. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's just, um, you, you need to, get a foot in the door first, right? Because um, right. actually, I we've, we've heard a lot of advice from experienced designers that once you got the uh, your first job experience, it actually gets easier. It's not going to get, well, it, it's still, you know, competitive, 
but it's much better than when you had zero experience. And for that first one, you may have to sacrifice a few things. For example, your location preference, or for example, you know, you may not get as high of a salary as you as you want it to be. Of course, you you should still negotiate, right? But there are these things that will get you to a better place. And absolutely agree with uh, what you said. It's um it's amazing that you got flown out to interview. That doesn't happen every day. And actually, yeah. actually, yeah. I remember myself too when I was interviewing. But I didn't, you know, get get the job. Um, in, in the end, I actually connected with a few, you know, really good hiring managers, and they're like, you know what, come back, you know, in a couple of years, or let's stay connected. I really liked you. We can't hire you now, so you kind of make those connections along the way that may come back in the future. Um, that you know, who knows where it's going to lead, right? What were you going to yeah. add? So I actually want to um, say and talk about an analogy that. I heard that. I mean, especially you're in Hollywood, so you might appreciate this. But uh, I remember somebody was interviewing Johnny Depp and they said uh, they were asking him about like how competitive acting is. And he said, you know, I don't have any competition whatsoever. Mm. And that kind of that surprised the interviewer. And he's the way he talked about it. He said, you know, there's a million like millions of people who want to become actors. They're coming out to Hollywood. They're like fighting for all these, like all the scraps and everything. Yep. But it's like, you know, once you basically get to that point where it's like, you think about a mountain and there's all yep. these people that are like fighting on the bottom of the mountain to try and yeah. climb up and they're like pulling each other down and like trying to come up and then somebody pulls them else down. And then like those people who have, you know, however they've managed to do it when they're at the top, yeah. there's, there's not no very competition. much competition out there. Yeah. You know, there's, no, not, absolutely. Many, there's not a ton of people who, you know, they are senior directors of UX, for example, there's way more juniors. Mm -hmm. um, And there's people that, you know, some of them will eventually realize that UX is not for them, they'll filter themselves out. Um, But then, like, once you kind of you get to that point, as I found is like, it is a lot easier to get hired, especially you've got all the connections, you've got the skills. um, Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, obviously, he needs no introduction, right. But at some point, you know, when you um, make it in, in your industry, you need no introduction as well. And people like reach out to you instead of you reaching out um, to them. And, and, and it takes tenacity. It takes really a lot of time to build it up. And it takes um, you to constantly uh, do something about your career and not just like sit in front, in front of your computer and just doing the bare minimum of what's assigned to you. And, and all those add up eventually to, you know, basically build a name for yourself, wherever you are, even if you're not in design, whatever other industry, it's kind of, it, it's the same thing. So really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. Um, and, and I'd like to, uh, kind of wrap up with the last question. So I know a lot of a lot of designers come from uh, a very different field. They transition their career into design, um, hoping to make a change, or they just don't feel passionate about their past career anymore. Um, so you were a marine biologist, and that was really interesting to me. Um, not many people are marine biologists, and actually, one of my uh, best friends were, uh, you know, in the same career, previous career as you. So. What was your take on, um, you know, some of the insecurities that uh, people have when they have such drastic, you know, different resumes than what other designers might have? And they wonder if that's going to be deemed irrelevant when they're in the recruiting process. How, how do you how can you speak to that? Yeah. And I think that um, 
I, you know, I think like one of the things that at least for me that I can speak to, and I've, I've seen it with some other people is like, they're kind of bringing over this, uh, you know, maybe this garbage that they're, they had in their past career that, you know, in my case, like I, I graduated with a bachelor's degree and, you know, I should have theoretically been qualified to do the work I was trying to do. And it's like most of the work I was, I, that was out there was like government contract, like $15 an hour work where you'd have to relocate out to the middle of nowhere. And I couldn't even get hired for that. And I think that, you know, when I, when I was shifting into design, I thought I looked at it, you know, first off I said like, Oh, well, I haven't been able to get hired in some of these other, in these other jobs and I'm applying for UX and I'm having the same problem. Um, you know, I thought the problem was me and, I mean, that's, I'm not, I think like, yes, definitely take responsibility at least to some extent, but it's just like, we've got a broken hiring system. Um, and what I will also say too, is that I think that a lot of people are, because UX is, there aren't too many, you know, actual, like, for example, if you're coming in from college, for example, there aren't very many programs out there that are specifically, even today that are catered to UX design. There are, you know, there's programs for graphic design, there's programs for um, like industrial design or some of these other things. But I found like a lot of people, even in the design field, they're studying something that's not really UX, but they're kind of like making that shift over. So I think like, you know, and same with people in psychology degrees, you know, where they're studying to be therapists and or most of their coursework is around like therapy or something. And then they have to shift that into UX for people who have studied neuroscience. You know, in my case, I felt like I was, I, I was actually kind of envious of the people, even in those situations who had studied design or studied psychology, because I felt like, uh, I felt like, you know, design is the sun and I'm all the way over, like not even in like Pluto's range. Right. <laughs> I'm not so far. I can't even qualify as one yeah. of the planets. And, <laughs> I, you know, I just thought like, you know, why would anybody want to hire somebody with, who's basically coming from like a very logical field to do UX? And then I eventually realized like the, the field that I came from was actually super valuable because it did teach me how to, you know, set up a study. It taught me how to look at, um, you know, look at like sampling bias, how to uh, kind of like not, not take data at face value, how to really understand the problem, you know, whatever problem you're trying to solve through the scientific method that helped me quite a bit, actually. In fact, I, I do think of it as now as one of my personal superpowers, but I think, uh, shifting it over to other people who come from different fields, you know, like I do believe that because UX is such a multifaceted field, you can come into it from, a bunch of different backgrounds and have some sort of success. I know that, for example, if you're coming in from being a teacher, for example, like you've already, like, you know how to, how to present information in a clear and logical and rational way so the kids can understand. Now you're kind of doing that for, you know, the people using your software, the people who are the stakeholders who are, you know, from your company. Um, if you're coming in from, oh gosh, I don't know, like, um, I mean, of course, like graphic design, then you're probably going to be pretty good with like layouts and UI. Um, I don't know. What would be some other ones that I've uh, the, like 
engineering, for example, I mean, again, like, you know how to, uh, you know how to be very precise, how to have like an eagle eye for, um, for, you know, setting things up the right way. Uh, it's you, I, and I think really, I could just stay on here and just list example after example. Um, but I think what re- what's really important is to realize that you most likely you are bringing something of value to UX. Um, you know, even I've, I've even met like some of the best, one of the best UI designers I knew, he actually, he doesn't have a college degree at all. He just basically took like a semester of community college and then just got into, got into UI and just did that full time and learned from the industry. Um, you know, similarly, I've met people with, I met a person on, you know, LinkedIn with a design degree and who went through a boot camp, who said she only felt qualified for like minimum wage work. And that kind of hurt me. And it's like, no, that was really shocking. Yeah, it is. And it's unfortunate. Um, I think like really it's a big thing about it is just understanding what kind of value you are bringing to UX. Like why, why should I, you know, if I'm, if I'm potentially, let's say in a theoretical world, I'm hiring you, why should I hire you? what are you going to provide from your, your background and your understanding of other fields into UX? And how is that ultimately going to benefit the business that I'm trying to build? Uh, and I think once you can get that really nailed down, then you will be able to land your first job. In fact, side note, uh, with the when I was talking about how I came from this marine biology background, I actually got my first job because I was selling them on my research skills. Every, oh. I can tell you, like, the reason why I got that job, every other person who applied for that role said um, they were applying, obviously, for a UX role, but they were pretty much all they could show was I'm an artist or I'm a oh, I'm a designer. Wow. And I thought that was, that kind of took me by surprise when I was talking talking to the, the people who hired me on day one. They were like, yeah, we had these these other people who were like, we're just showing their art and design skills. And the reason we hired you is because you understand, like you showed the clearest demonstration of understanding problem solving. Amazing. So I actually beat out some of the yeah. designers with my skill set. And I think once you understand kind of these like superpowers you bring in, even if you're not, you're not coming in from a UX background. And I can tell you most people who went to college or even didn't, they're not coming from a design background at all. They're just kind of like jerry-rigging it as they go along. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. Actually, I actually had no idea that's um, how you got your first job, you know, uh, got your foot in the door. And um, I, I kept, yeah, I kept telling I a unique background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I kept telling people that those past experience actually makes you more unique than mundane. So you shouldn't uh, feel bad about, you know, what you did before and shouldn't try to hide it. Because if you do, then you, you actually become more boring because you're no different than other people. Right. And, and also, you know, I remember when I was speaking to, to Carrie uh, McPherson, and he was saying he understands logistics. Um, so when he was uh, applying for a job, actually, he had a great chat with the recruiter about logistics. And the recruiter was like, wow, we actually really appreciate your understanding in this area because not many people do. So you kind of have to find that um, you know, fit with your background and you have to do some research to see if that company potentially would want someone like yourself. And it, it, it's kind of like one marketing yourself and, and being really persuasive, confident about who you are, 
Um, and, and don't think of your past as a shortcoming, but as a strength, right? So yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely um, admire what you are doing and what you're going to continue to do. Um, and thank you so much for sharing with us today. I think we, yeah. we learned so much. And if you want to hear more of this, um, you know, useful educational content, uh, follow us on um, all social media platform at Path Unbound. And my name is Stella Guan. We will see you again next time. <laughs>